Hey everyone, we have a special episode for you. We have Noam Shazir, and Noam has such a fantastic resume and background that I want to make sure I read this out. Noam is currently the founder and CEO of Character AI, but before this, he spent 21 years, if my math is right, at Google. I, I, I left a few uh, years in the middle, but I was mostly there. Okay, quite a long period of time at Google. Just to put it simply, you know, Noam has probably been at the heart or has been responsible for a lot of the research and development work that has gone into lang, uh, large language models uh, today. So just some examples. Uh, he was involved in the uh, famous Transformers paper from 2017, uh, which you're going to really get into, with sparsely gated mixture of experts in 2016, was involved with TensorFlow, was a major contributor to Google's Lambda Dialog system. The list goes on and on. Uh, Noam, you're a legend in this field. This is such a delight. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Noam. Oh, thanks for thanks for having me on. <laughs> okay, so we're going to get to AI in just a bit, but I want to ask you about a fun story. I don't know whether it's true or not, so you got to tell us whether it's true or not. Uh, when I was Googling you uh, and preparing for this conversation, I was looking at Hacker News, and there is a story about you and Hacker News, which says that... Uh, when you joined Google and you were originally interviewed, one of the answers you came up in the interview actually wound up being something that you know Gmail wound up using later. So I don't know if it's true or not, but I'm curious to kind of hear your history about how did you wind up in Google and the story ever since. Let's see. I went to Duke for undergrad on like a math scholarship. Okay. <laughs> Not basketball. I, I got injured. I got injured. No joke, joking, joking. But um, but but th there was a math professor that actually recruited me because they were trying to win this math competition. Um, like I, I have no idea why, but uh, in in any case, uh, uh, ended up going there on the scholarship and um, then studied math. And then I guess I was really good at math, math competitions and stuff in high school. So. Uh, Assumed I should do math, but then at some point realized, wait, I don't really enjoy doing math for fun. I just like programming and uh, um, seeing if I can get the computer to do something smart. So maybe I'll uh, take up computer science instead. So yeah. ended up uh, starting grad school and dropping out uh, two or three times and then um, submitted a resume to Google because, I don't know, uh, maybe... Uh, well, I, I used Google. I thought, okay, it seems like a, an interesting place to work. And I had actually like passed over Google like at a job fair at like Berkeley in 1999 because I assumed it was already a huge company because everyone I knew used Google. But I think I had a very, very biased sample right. of who I knew because they were uh, grad students in CS. And had I realized that it was uh, it was actually that small, I would I, I would have joined uh, earlier. But um, I. I'm not quite sure what the interview story was. It might have had to do with uh, with uh, Paul Bukite. Yes, um, yeah. and, um, and the founder I, of I Gmail, by the way, who was yeah uh, the, the 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 yeah the uh, creator of, uh, of 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 Gmail, who's uh, pretty awesome and um, also one of our investors. Um, but um, it, yeah, he's. Uh, I think he probably recalls the incident better than I do because I, I think I was a little stressed out about the interview. <laughs> <laughs> was it a spell corrector? What do you? Oh have? yeah, yeah. I think I think yeah. he asked me how how I do a, a spell corrector, and then and then I ended up doing uh, uh, writing the first good spell corrector at Google. Previously, we, uh, we've been using uh, like a, a third party system that was uh, you know something out of a word processor. 
I mean, something similar to, to something based on like a human edited dictionary of maybe 50,000 words. And it was pretty yeah. funny because it worked well for word processing, but worked like terrible for Google web search because it was right. a, um, you know, the voc vocabulary for web search is so incredibly broad. So you mm -hmm. type in TurboTax and it would say, did you mean TurboTax? Um, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, because it, right. it, like it, it, most of the, uh, most of the time it was just wrong uh, because uh, it, mostly just uh, false positives. Um, right. And so, so we did like a data-driven one that, that was actually, uh, actually good. Nice. Google is obviously a few orders of magnitude larger now in terms of employee count and size and impact. How different was Google back then? And how did you see it change over, you know, the early 2000s? Yeah, I mean, it, it was, yeah, it was definitely super fun i think it's still it's still super fun I, let's see i guess yeah when i joined it was a couple hundred people so like everyone knew each other which was which was great and you know even even then it was very very bottom up self directed like very little um very little uh engineering management like I mm -hmm. think at some point they actually fired all the engineering managers mm -hmm. and nobody noticed. I certainly didn't notice as an engineer. It's like, okay, now I'm <laughs> reporting to like a VP, but so is everyone else. Okay, uh, okay, back to work. Because <laughs> everyone just kind of knew what they needed to do to make the thing succeed. And, um, you know, it, uh, you know, kind of, kind of magical. Uh, at, at those small sizes, but I, I think Google is still a very bottoms up sort of yeah. company. Um, at, at least, uh, at least in the research parts, I was uh, involved in pretty much always just did whatever I felt like, um, and it, it worked out pretty well. Story I remember hearing is that Larry Page one day decided that managers were bad and essentially made <laughs> Google into a flat organization. And I don't know if it's him or maybe had all the engineers report to one person, essentially. And you know, the funny thing is, I think this was probably in the early 2000s and maybe yeah. two decades later, when you look at what Elon Musk is doing at Twitter, there's some shades of similarities, which is let's cut out a lot of middle management and let's you know have the engineers do the things that they do best. Yeah, yeah, very much so. I mean, that character, like we, we have like, interviewed some like product management people and for the most part it just seemed like you know they have no idea of what the technology is capable of and, and they just right. said all kinds of like random things like okay you need to you need to figure out which verticals you're going into and focus on those or something which ended up to be you know i think is like the exact wrong strategy for large language models because the strength of the thing is the generality mm. um you know and uh you know so and, and people just before we had a product, you know, it's just very, very hard to kind of imagine what you know what the thing is going to be capable of. So we didn't really find it useful uh, to even hire anyone on the product side. I mean, that that'll change probably in the future, but uh, you know, uh, so far it, it is kind of mostly engineers who kind of understand what what the possibilities are that uh, you know have the best chance of uh, setting the direction. Okay, so I want to, we're going to spend a lot of time in this conversation talking about AI and uh, LLMs. But before that, could you maybe outline for us some of the, and you were at Google for such a long time. So this is particularly interesting when kind of talking about your career there. Some of the few notable milestones and projects that you wound up being involved with, because I think kind of directly 
leads and overlaps with the development in AI in the last 20 years? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess in the early days, I did a bunch of stuff that was considered AI at the time, like the spell corrector. And then uh, then we did a um, the system for unsupervised topic clustering. I think that they, um, I think, invented something very similar or the same thing. Uh, at Berkeley and called a latent Dirichlet allocation. And like that was like a couple of years after we did it and like maybe at a hundredth the scale. Uh, mm -hmm. And they uh, and we call it like we didn't know anything about like publishing or anything. We're just like, oh, let's just like build the thing. And uh, we called it Phil. I'm not quite sure why, but we figured it would one day turn into AI and we wanted it to sound non-threatening. <laughs> but it was me and uh, this other guy, uh, George Herrick, uh, who was another one of the early uh, early Google uh, Google people. Um, nice. But uh, yeah, but then we um, turned it into like the first targeting function for AdSense, which ended up making a lot of money. So uh, <laughs> I remember all, I, I... all went well. <laughs> Uh, I spent a lot of time working on ad tech and had to compete, so I can definitely appreciate that. Okay, maybe let's get to it. I want to talk about LLMs, but maybe before yeah. that, uh, could you maybe talk to us a little bit about the last 20, 30 years of AI research? Um, because you know, when we were in school, we read John McCarthy. Right, we saw oh, the yeah. history. Uh, you know, yeah. oh my God, yes, Arthi <laughs> is a Lisp hacker. <laughs> and, used to be, used uh, to be. <laughs> and you know, a lot of AI kind of came from that and symbolics and uh, that world. And then there was sort of a disillusionment, so so to speak, uh, in the world of AI. Maybe in the in the eighties. Maybe talk to us a little bit about the history of AI and some of the approaches that were tried before, you know, kind of the renaissance with, that we've seen the last 10, 12 years with deep learning LLMs. Yeah, I guess I guess when I started getting excited about AI, like the exciting thing then was uh, Bayesian networks. Mm -hmm. um, and, and like uh, everyone was doing those and it was like really, really exciting. And yeah, I remember kind of getting into that because I, I really loved probability. Like it was always like right. my favorite, uh, favorite field in, uh, in math. And th th this great sort of graduate seminar at Duke, the, uh, the professor's name was uh, uh, Mike Littman. And he, he's like, okay, we're going to have the class just all collaborate and we will build a system that solves crossword puzzles because he was into crossword puzzles and mm -hmm. i think a lot of a lot of us were into crossword puzzles because like there were like there were no cell phones or something so like you just pick up the student newspaper and sit and do the crossword puzzle during nice. the lecture <laughs> Nice. <laughs> so uh, one of the other students, uh, Greg Keim, who, who's now working with us at Character, uh, like had uh, had collected like a, a bunch of like crossword, like uh, had been scraping the web for like crossword puzzles. And so he had like a big database. And so uh, we, we used that as a start for, uh, you know, for, uh, the big database of clues. So we used it mm -hmm. as a start for the crossword uh, solver. And then like I kind of unknowingly reinvented this uh, belief propagation algorithm to uh, uh, to, to fill in the grid. I guess I should have read about it and understood that it existed, but oh, no, <laughs> I was very excited about it until, until I understood, uh, read that it has uh, already been done. But, well, in that um, era, I think anyway. base was, the base was super important in the era because if you look at Paul Graham wrote this famous a plan for spam, if I remember, and a lot of spam fighting mm -hmm. was actually built on base. I remember downloading, I forget this Outlook plugin, which would use uh, base on the client side. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and which would basically use base on the client side to filter out spam. So yeah. it was very foundational to so much of you know what we take for granted today. Today, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and then I guess, um, yeah, like 2012, I'd, I'd 
left Google for a few years, but then decided to come come back when I like visited my wife for lunch because uh, she she was still working at Google and uh, happened to sit next to Jeff Dean and the Google Brain team. I was like, whoa, this seems like. <laughs> smart bunch of people doing something interesting like let me try this i guess i'd never never done uh, neural networks before but kind of uh got into it mm-hmm. and i mean i i think that it's it's just a matter of um the hardware like you know like hardware has gotten more parallel but you know not faster clock speed so like all of the growth in in hardware power has been in uh, in parallelism essentially. Mm-hmm. So now you have these these processors that can do like fantastic amounts of arithmetic, but are limited in sort of how many sequential operations they can do, and also like how much data they can move around. Mm-hmm. Like moving data is expensive, and arithmetic is cheap essentially. Mm-hmm. And then you have uh, neural networks which are mostly matrix multiplications. So matrix right. multiplication happens to be like an operation that you can do really, really well on, you know, on, on modern hardware. And so like, it, like it, it, it turns out that, okay, now you can run these neural network algorithms like many, many orders of magnitude faster then you can run something that's going to be like poking around in memory and like branching and following pointers and like all kinds of other stuff. So mm-hmm. like if you want to do something smart, it had better be like, you know, 100,000 times as smart as neural networks because mm-hmm. like otherwise you're just going to get like destroyed on on raw computing power. The simplistic uh, way I understood it was, uh, you know, you kind of had these advancements in GPUs Thanks to gaming, right. where you needed to update yes. different parts of the screen and you know make the colorful pixel the right color, and yep. that happened to be very very good at parallel floating point operations. Mm. And then it turns out right. that when you had neural networks come on, which needed that, you you could kind of harness this hardware advance which had already been built out by the likes of Nvidia, and then repurpose it. Is that somewhat yeah? Thank God for the gamers, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Would it have would it have happened without the gamers? I uh, I I have no idea. Would someone have had some other reason to go and like build a highly parallel um, computation chip? I mean, maybe like probably. Yeah, I, I don't know. I guess, I guess the first uh, the first application happened to, that required it happened to be gaming. Okay, so but let's me let's me let's me start with some atomic building blocks here in this conversation, and then right. kind of build on top yeah. of that. So, in maybe the simplest possible terms, what is a neural network, and what is a large language model? Let's see, a neural network. I mean, neural networks have been around for a very very long time, right? Mm-hmm. What, what was it like the seventies? Seventies, I think. Forty years. Yeah, at least seventy. Yeah. fifty years now. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, so the basic idea has been been around a long time and it's the neural network is basically loosely modeled on somebody's impression of what a brain might be like where there are these neurons which are kind of variables in or interior nodes in this big expression Mm -hmm. so you have this fantastically complicated you know 
formula, essentially, that, that you're training to give you the output in terms of the input. The input mm -hmm. goes into the formula, and then, you know, there are, you know, you do a trillion things to it, and out, out, comes, out comes the output. Um, and, you know, in this formula, there are all these numbers that are called the parameters. And the idea of neural networks is you just keep tweaking those parameters a little bit with, you know, you, you, you see a new example, you tweak all the parameters a little bit to make the answer a little closer to the right answer for that example, and just do this a lot of times, and you end up with something that works pretty well for examples that you haven't seen. It kind of generalizes well. So that's the basic idea, mm -hmm. and no one was that successful at this stuff, you know, for a long time, and so they rebranded the thing as deep learning uh, because <laughs> neural networks had gotten a bad name or something mm -hmm. like that. So okay, let's try something else and uh, and see if we can uh, recapture a, a little bit of hype. But really, the reason that like and maybe there was some story about okay now now it's deeper or something like the, the more more sequential steps or something but i think the real reason is that it ended up taking off so much was the parallel computation and the gamers right, right. okay so now LLMs. Now, you know, you have a history with LLMs. Actually, there's a fantastic talk, um, you know, on YouTube from a few years ago where you go about like talking about like how to build these really large models at scale. Yeah. Maybe explain to folks who might be technical but not into AI what is an LLM and what are the, some of the challenges of how how large these things can be and how to maybe overcome those. Yeah, I mean, so neural language models are essentially just neural networks applied to text. And like the language modeling problem is, you know, completely simple to state. It's like, okay, you're given the beginning of some document and guess what the next word is. Mm -hmm. You know, the input is the text up to this point. The output is a probability distribution of what is the next word? You say, okay, the fat cat sat on the, and then the thing is supposed to tell you 50% it's Matt, 10% it's hat, you know, 5% it's uh, floor, you know, 1% yeah. proletariat. I don't know, like whatever, maybe it's like a Marxist uh, <laughs> thing or something. I, I don't know, like whatever. But um, uh, the, uh, so, so that that's all a language model is supposed to do. It's, it's, it's there to give you probability distributions on the next word. So, but if you have that, you can sample from it. So you figure out, you know, you take it, you sample from that distribution, pick mm -hmm. a next word, and now you can plug it in and pick the word after that and pick the word after that and just kind of generate text that um, if your model is good, it will, it, it will look like it will be indistinguishable from what a person might uh, might have written. So, I mean, it's beautiful because, okay, it's that simple to, to explain the problem. And there's roughly an infinite amount of free training data for the thing. Just go scrape right. the web and you have mm -hmm. all, all the data you want. And it's kind it's like an AI complete problem because, um, you know, like pretty much any, if you, if you could do a terrific job on that, I could say, all right, the cure for cancer is, 
uh, okay, fill in, <laughs> fill in the rest, right? right? right so right. like, like you, you can, you know, that there's to achieve perfection in language modeling means to, to have, uh, you know, to, to have solved roughly every AI problem uh, on earth. Now, if you actually, I think I actually tried that with some um, language model I was training, the cure for cancer is, and it said marijuana, and it like went on some long rant about, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, 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 about how pot could cure everything. So that don't listen to the language model. But anyway. <laughs> not, not yet. Not yet. Uh, but that's an but, interesting question, maybe a tangent here, which is when I think about the cat sat on the, and you know, my brain is firing off neurons in some way, which maybe neuroscientists can understand. And I'm trying to build a probabilistic model of, you know, hat, you know, Matt, etc. Proletariat. Proletariat, if, you know, I'm the right (laughs) group, I'm guessing. What is the right way? And people use words like thinking, hallucination, a lot of interesting words get used here. Um, What is the right verb uh, to describe what that prediction process happening inside uh, the new network is? Yeah, that's that's like a philosophical question or something. Like, how, okay, how it's figuring it out, like, I have no idea. It's really complicated what's going on in there. Mm-hmm. Um, so so I, I wouldn't even venture a guess. But I think some people are working on sort of this explainability stuff. Um, but But in terms of, like, as a user of the thing, like, I like to think of it as like a really talented improvisational actor. Like you've got Robin Williams in a box mm-hmm. and you're like, okay, play Einstein and like I'll put on like a German accent and like pretend to like, you know, <laughs> be Albert Einstein. And then you ask him physics questions and he'll give you something that sounds like relatively plausible if you're not a physicist. But, you know, it, it's not going to, like, unless he actually has a physics degree or had a physics degree, he probably wouldn't, uh, wouldn't give you, um, um, you know, a good physics answers. So, I mean, if you kind of think of, of it as an actor, maybe you kind of get the right sense of what to expect from the thing at this point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you explained, you know, how LLMs are, like, you know, what the building out a probabilistic model what is the challenge then? Like, why can't you consistently build out these incredible probabilistic models where the chances of, like, when you have a phrase like that, it always picks the next right word and it sounds pretty much indistinguishable from what any one of us would say. Like, what is the challenge behind just getting it right? Right. I mean, well, it's that it has to do a lot of extremely complicated reasoning in order to in order to get it right like even you know even a person can't get most of these things right um right so is it um, just computation power at some point like what what kind of constraints are you looking at then yeah i I mean so uh, sort of as models have gotten bigger and better like you know the you know the early relatively small models would you know mostly get the grammar right like what would produce text that seemed grammatical but like the semantics would be would be crazy wouldn't wouldn't make any sense and then you know as as you start making them bigger and training them more and, and making them better in various ways then the then they start okay being like perfect at grammar and 
and kind of making sense, but getting like a lot of facts wrong, you know, like, so right. it's maybe it is a lot like, uh, like a child right. learning that uh, at the beginning, you know, like if you have like a very, very weak model, it'll, you know, put together letters that seem to, you know, make sense and babble or something. And, and then, then at some point it'll get the, it'll get grammar mostly right. And then, yeah. you know, it'll get a more and more sophisticated understanding of the world, you know, as uh, as the computing power, um, you know, as the as the amount of training and the size of the model goes up. You know, we have uh, an almost four year old, and I feel like everything you say, I can kind of map it back to how she's picking it up, right? Like that's exactly how it is, where she starts picking up like random words that we speak and cobbling it together in a sentence. The tenses are all off, and the grammar isn't right. Uh, but she's trying to like pick up one complicated word and it's like every day she wakes up, she gets like a upgrade, you know, she gets like new words <laughs> and she's able to you know pull them all together in really interesting sentences. And now that she's almost four, it's gotten fairly sophisticated. Like the, the training data is still, you know, local maxima, it's just like a few of us, but you can see the potential as she like gets exposed to TV and books and everything else. She's just, and I, I feel like that's kind of the problem on a computing side of things as well, like, you know, with a machine where it's like exposure to data for training as well as computational power to to deduce what's the next word or sentence or image that you want to get right. Yeah, I, I think you're right. And, and these models have uh, usually, you know, most of them have seen like way more text than a human yeah. has. Yeah, yeah, yeah I mean, you can train it on billions and billions of... Uh, tokens of text like a person has probably heard like a billion words in their life at most you know over the course of uh, like a billion seconds or something but, i, I want to come uh, back to something you said a, a little while ago which really struck me you said nobody really knows what's happening inside these models and obviously ai explainability is a, a, a new area of research as an engineer um you know it's kind of an interesting comment to make because we've all grown up understanding these systems, being able to debug these systems. Like an operating system, you're like, well, that memory should have been allocated there. It didn't, and you go, you can go check in. How does it make you feel, or how should we all feel as creators of systems engineers should be dealing with these things that we have created, we can kind of poke and see the output of, but not really understand what's happening on the inside. On way, maybe on a philosophical level, how does it make you feel? Yeah, it's a good question. Yeah, it is uh, like a lot more you know, like an art and a science in some ways where mm -hmm. like you can't like, you know, you, you can't sort of predict very well, you know, if I make this change, what, you know, what, what will happen? I've, I feel like I have this great idea and it's certain to make the thing better, but you know, like maybe 10% of the time it's going to work. And that means like, like I'm a brilliant researcher and have a fantastically high hit rate if it's like 10%. But like, um, you know, on, on some things like, you know, like, algorithms and like performance like a yeah they're there you, you can deduce from the beginning that okay th mm -hmm. this is going to work if i do it and if it's not the if if you know if not then it's a bug but you know here it's it's really a, a very experimental science it's like a, a lot like i would imagine like chemistry was in the days of alchemy or something it's like oh, okay yeah. right. let's try let's try this thing <laughs> <laughs> you know, see what see what happens and maybe somebody has kind of a good intuition for it and uh and we'll have like a higher hit rate 
on like experiments that you know that that, that work or maybe it's just like god loves me or something definitely a fun fun space um and and then I, like the um bugs if you make like an actual just bug error in your code like often like you never even know that you made a bug maybe mm -hmm. it's just that mm -hmm. your thing got dumber like it's right. like it's it feels a little dumb today and then it turns out like okay like I, I had a bug in my code and like it makes debugging extremely extremely difficult um right. because like you you don't really know um you know how well what the right answer be. to some of these things should be yeah. um yeah okay I've, yeah. I've, I've been waiting to kind of ask you this next thing you know, um, I'm kind of really excited about it. So it's probably fair to say that the most seminal paper in the last several years uh, when it comes to field of AI is uh, attention is all you need, uh, which you were one of the authors of with some of your colleagues at Google. Um, I'm going to quote a footnote uh, from the paper on the first page, actually. Uh, I was reading it last night and taking some notes, and this was actually there yeah. on the very first page. It says, Noam uh, proposed scaled dot product attention, multi-head attention, and the parameter-free position representation, and became the other person involved in nearly every detail. So now this paper uh, and the idea of transformers and self-attention, which I think in this kind of, it was at the heart of, really has been the foundation of so much of the advances that we've seen over the last few years. So maybe let's start at the basics again. What is a transformer? What is attention? And let's go from there. Yeah, okay. So um, the the previous state of the art in, um, you know, in neural language models um, was something called recurrent neural networks. Um, and uh, the particular flavor of them was called LSTMs for long short-term uh, memory by uh, Jürgen Schmidhuber. Um, but you know, ba basically, recurrent neural networks are the um, they process the text one token at a time. So you mm -hmm. have this the token meaning word generally, mm -hmm. but you you have every, like you have this hidden state of your uh, uh, of your model. And okay, you have a hidden state, and every time it sees another word, it sort of updates the hidden state to be some function of like the old hidden state and this new word that it saw. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, that that's sort of the forward pass of the model. It progresses that, you know, progresses updating through like a long, long sequence of, <laughs> uh, of words. Um, and I mean that makes a lot of sense for processing a sequence because you know you want to apply like the same uh, operation for for every token that comes through, and um, you know and that, that ends up being pretty good. Um, now the issue with one main issue with that is that it's sequential, and you know as we were just talking about, like modern hardware is great at parallelism. Mm -hmm. So transformer figures out a way to, at least during training, process the entire sequence in parallel, uh, as opposed to as opposed to one token at a time, um, and and that like makes things massively, massively more uh, performant than convenient. Okay, because okay to go back to like parallelism and neural networks, training is always done 
with a batch of examples instead mm -hmm. of just one, one example at a time. And the and the reason is is just that the hardware is good at parallelism. Mm -hmm. So you end up doing these these matrix multiplications where one of the dimensions of the matrix is this batch of examples. So in transformer, the length of the sequence becomes the becomes the batch. You don't need a, a whole batch of set of different sequences to process together because mm -hmm. sort of the length of the sequence becomes the batch. To relate this uh, so, to what uh, you, so sorry, one yeah. way so one way I intuitively understood this and I could be very wrong yeah, um, yeah. is that you know the model now has context of the entire sequence which was not which was not the case before so you could basically have the entire product entire document and you could have the the context the understanding of it as opposed to just one sequence at a time um well i mean the sequence is the document right, right. so so i guess in in the case of the rnn the recurrent network you you can remember things from back all the way at the beginning of the document but it's it's been passed through some very long chain of intermediate steps, and uh, and with transformer, um, it's kind of as if you can kind of glance at everything at once. Right. Like you know, you're reading a, like maybe the difference between sort of um, reading a page of text and only scanning like one word at a time, and reading a page of text where you're allowed to kind of glance back, um, you know, to, to 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 relevant things in the past. That that's kind of one way of seeing it, but I think the more computational way of seeing it is that it lets you do it lets you do parallelism. Mm -hmm. um, so with image processing models, you have um, parallelism across pixels. Uh, you have something called convolutional networks that are sort of applying the same operation at, at every pixel of the image. So you get that parallelism by applying the same, you know, the same operation to all these different pixels, and the and sort of the size of the image is the batch, and this is sort of doing the same thing for for text. And and actually, like just prior to Transformer, there were some good um, attempts to use convolutional networks for for text as well and they didn't work quite as well as uh, as transformer did but like the idea was sort of in the air of let's do something um some let's do a neural network for text that has where you're using parallel processing and you could process the whole sequence in parallel at least during training time at inference time it's still sequential but you know so that that was sort of the 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 core idea, and um, and I believe um, it was uh, was uh, Jakob Uskaret who, who had that idea, you know, at, at Google, and he's mm -hmm. like, yeah, let's do a, um, you know, let's do a language model that doesn't have recurrence, and let's try this attention instead of uh, instead of recurrent nets and instead of convolutions. So he had the idea. He, he was a little busy, um, uh, too busy managing a bunch of people to work on it, as far mm -hmm. as I understand. And he asked uh, uh, Nikki and Ashish to, uh, he's like, oh, you, get, you, you guys want to run with this thing? So, you know, so, so, they, uh, so they started working on it. Now, uh, you know, one question which I think maybe leads to this is like, you know, that era, um, Google, you know, was obviously so much of the research in this 
feel has come from Google. Uh, Have why haven't they been able to productize more work based on this research? I think that's kind of one of the discussion topics in recent times. Oh, interesting. Um, let's see. I, I mean, I, I believe, like, I assume that they have gotten it into a lot of their products at this point. Like, mm-hmm. um, I, you know, Transformers. I mean, definitely the uh, the Google Translate stuff. I mean, that that was, I think you know, sort of one of our biggest inspirations is is Google Translate, because I'd say that was like the biggest biggest success of, mm-hmm. of, of neural language models at the time was machine translation, because that's sort of the stage the technology was mm-hmm. in, was that, you know, good enough, good enough to translate English to French, you know, not, not good enough to, you know, hold down it's part of a conversation. So yeah, we, we kind of, yeah, we like, so, so our original transformer work was, you know, we used as a data set, you know, the, uh, machine, tra- machine translation. Oh, and the attention also came from, uh, came from translation. So, oh, so maybe you want to explain what attention and self-attention mean in this yeah, context. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So, uh, attention. Okay. So, so we were trying to, so the idea was you're translating one language to another language. And so you had like, uh, a recurrent net, uh, neural network operating over the uh, the input, and then sort of another recurrent neural network operating over the output, sort of producing the output. Mm-hmm. So you had like you had like one, uh, so you had one RNN that was uh, sort of kind of understanding, and then another that was generating, mm-hmm. and then but then you needed to connect them somehow, and you're. And okay, you're you're going to you want to like you're at some point in this in the sentence that you're generating, and you want to kind of glance into the your source sentence, like the you know the the one you're translating, and you want to know like where exactly should you be looking, like where should you be paying attention to. Mm-hmm. So this attention layer means okay, you take your source sentence and you sort of turn it into like this associative memory where you have these keys and values that you turn each position to, into like a key and a value in this like associative memory. And then when you're generating something, you kind of generate this vector that's a query. And then you compare the query to all the keys and you find what matches well. And then you take those values and like that's that's sort of the value uh, you use. So it's sort of like a, like a soft, look up into an index soft right. meaning like it's it's all built out of like dot products and stuff and soft maxes and and it's all differentiable so it can be part of a neural network that you're learning so it's it's sort of this idea that attention's this idea that you're sort of at, at least that's how i like to see it that you're that you're building this this memory that's this lookup table and then you're using it and mm-hmm. so in the case of translation you were using it to kind of find the find your place in the sentence that you're translating. So, uh, uh, yeah, sorry. So I was going to say, uh, I went on a rabbit hole on YouTube. There's actually a bunch of great videos which with like which try and give you intuitive understanding those. But you just did a fantastic job there, yeah, uh, trying to simplify a lot of math and a lot of computer science into something we can build an intuitive understanding of. This was like, not easy. Uh, it's 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 great. Like I think, like Sriram said, uh, you know, we've been looking up and r- trying to read more about it. And you know, for us, at least for me, um, 
when you know we started thinking looking at uh, last year and we started seeing dali and then started seeing like all these other applications it kind of like blew us away from like what can we go build with these and then you know typical engineers that we are we started looking at like so how do you do that like how does this all work and we started looking into youtube but i have to say it is quite the treat to have noam one of the, yeah. the the authors of this paper to come and explain to us what attention and self attention means it's like it's such a rare privilege oh yes and trying to explain it as like a key value pair and like a mapping against it is so beautiful it's so simple and intuitive mm-hmm. but i'll say the original paper is very accessible because you really read the first i think Two three pages. It basically describes the entire transform model and self attention very very well. But that was amazing. Okay, so you know, I want to maybe t- and I think th- it, this was very technical for a lot of our audience. You know, t- but it is so important because I think these were the foundations on which everything we have seen. You know, from Dali to uh, you know stable diffusion to GPT uh, to Chat GPT uh, is all built on. Um, maybe one place to start off is um, the the world of AI application, especially. things which let you chat. So would love to for you to chat about like what character AI is in this context because you know I think this is super interesting in the field of AI applications. What exactly is character AI do uh building on top of everything we talked about? Oh yeah. So okay, so like okay, so we uh, we did transformer and then um I guess with or without transformer like everybody seemed to notice that you know the bigger you make the model and the more you train it the smarter it gets. So Okay, let's let's just push this thing farther, right? Mm-hmm. So, okay, what's next after Transformer? Okay, uh, like can we train a bigger one and a bigger one and like at some point, you know, you run out of memory on on whatever chips you're using and need to uh figure out how to use um uh how to use a supercomputer uh better. um so so google was uh building these uh these things called tpu pods which is you know essentially a supercomputer built out of these custom asics for you know for deep learning and so like my next project was okay like how do you program this thing and i called it mesh tensor flow um you know as a language for um you know for for programming some of these um model parallel computations so you could train a giant transformer um and uh okay so i did a bunch of work on how do you make transformer bigger better awesome and then tried to get everyone excited about it uh tried to show it's useful for a lot of different things and then I'm like okay what we really need is some massively massively valuable application right, right. like yep. you know like yeah i can you know we can spend a million dollars training a model and it's going to be smart but like you know a million dollars is not cool what's cool is like a billion dollars or a trillion dollars to uh, <laughs> badly paraphrase Mark Zuckerberg <laughs> in the movie but anyway like, but uh but like uh but basically um you know if you want to like scale the thing even more you you know you, it, it needs to be worth it so like let's prove out some application like one one great choice is uh is coding you know automated coding which i guess people have been working on and uh, doing a great job on but like another one is is dialogue like i mean mm-hmm. you can just talk to these models and it's the coolest thing ever um and you know like dialogue is probably number one human pastime is talking to people and mm-hmm. you know it's a great great emotionally great socially it's uh you can learn a lot of things you can you know anyway like uh, well, dialogue, well, I, 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 dialogue. Say, dialogue is actually at the heart of 
so much AI. Like, I'll give you two examples. Uh, one is uh, uh, Emacs and Eliza. Um, you know, the chatbot in uh, Emacs, which went on for like 30 years or something, was probably one of the first examples. Uh, and that's kind of like a very simplistic lookup table and kind of gives you responses based on that. It was one of the first interaction with dialogue. But if you think about it, a lot of people were inspired um, by okay. Star Trek. All right, and, and, and Star Trek, and you know, talking to the computer. Yeah. And I know a lot of AI researchers who are like, I want to go build that. Where you know, you have Kirk or Picard talking to the computer and talks back to you. Like, how do you go build that? So a lot of the foundational inspiration for AI right. came Touring from test, that. Right? Like, yes, oh, yeah. exactly. Yep, yep. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, totally. I mean, uh, uh, and and we, you know, for, when you look at character AI, the side segue, and you should talk about like you know what it does and everything, but. Over the holidays, uh, I was playing around with character AI and I built a Santa bot and it's the most endearing bot because, you know, it's, it's, it's fully trained on being Santa Claus. And so, you know, we taught, ta- who are your reindeers? What do they do? Where do you come from? How fat, like, you know, and I'm t- explaining a bunch of this to my daughter. And it's it's just really cool to have this conversation with Santa Claus. So, uh, you know, just really oh, fun cool. use of the product. Yeah. Um, yeah. So okay. So we're like, uh, I did a you know a bunch of work uh, there at Google uh, with uh, with my uh, co-founder uh, Daniel DeFreitas. So he he you know it's just been his his childhood dream. You should talk to him sometime to you know to to do open the main dialogue uh, systems. You know since he was nice. like a kid in Brazil, he's been like mm-hmm. uh, trying to do this stuff. So um, so so he was at he, he came to Google Brain because it seemed like we had the best technology and like he started this um um 20 project uh you know like in his, uh, spare time uh, mina you know he, uh, i think the name just came to him in the dream or something so and then and then he recruited like a bunch of other like 20 percenters these are like this is uh google's policy of like spend 20 percent of your time doing mm-hmm. whatever you want so essentially just volunteers and, and and they had something pretty good uh then i uh, decided to help them out because Hey, we got to make dialogue awesome and uh, train some uh, some uh, some giant uh, language models, and it got renamed to Lambda, and it, uh, you know uh, caused a bit of a stir inside of uh, mm-hmm. Google. But eventually, we decided we'd uh, probably have more lu- luck uh, launching stuff as a startup. You know, uh, so uh, so we left and you know put put together a uh, a startup so we could have like a better chance of la- launching some applications. Uh, this is actually a theme that I wanted to come to, which is, do you think some of the big tech companies, and Google's one example, but I think there are other examples, are hamstrung by the internal dynamics that exist in these companies, either be it AI safety, either be it like uh, PR issues, uh, bureaucracy, which makes them... And obviously, big companies just you know sometimes just slow by the nature of big companies, but particularly slow when it comes to building AI applications. Yeah, I mean, the, yeah, there, there's definitely a lot of concern about uh, uh, about sort of yeah certain aspects of mm-hmm. safety and uh, you know and uh, yeah yeah definitely a lot of uh, yeah uh, brand risk issues that a startup just doesn't have and they. Mm-hmm trillion dollar company does have you know yeah. it, like the so um you know and, and google of course is doing a fantastic job and has some um, has extremely successful products and is helping billions of people and you know has a great mission so yeah they they definitely have would have a lot more to risk by like throwing some stuff up there that people are going to use however they want 
which I, I think is the most fun part about it. Like get something out there and let people use it however they want because like this technology in particular is like so general. Like I keep telling like, uh, you know, my, my colleagues that, you know, the best applications are things we have not thought of. And, mm. you know, just like we have resisted any urge to, you know, to like sort of pick winners in terms of applications and mm -hmm. uh, and verticals. Like, yeah, we can see particular use cases as sort of inspiration. We see, okay, there's a problem with this, but then let's go fix it in a very general way that's going to improve like a thousand other use cases. And so you get stuff mm -hmm. that, you know, like um, that you just would not, like we never thought about, oh, there should the, like, there is going to be a Santa bot, like, you know, like, 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 <laughs> like completely didn't. And then, then we get like all kinds of feedback of, you know, people telling us like, you know, I was depressed. I have no friends. This makes me feel better. So, you know, like, mm. you know, the people who are finding like a huge amount of value in the thing or like there's, uh, there, there's like a lot of people doing role-playing games. There's a lot of people, uh, you know, who want to, this like one-on-one -on -one connection with like, uh, you know, their personal uh, celebrity or, you know, like th right. there's all kinds of stuff that like we did not think about as like big use cases and kind of just just happens if you like put something very general out there and like let people use it however mm -hmm. however they want and they probably know how to use it better than we do. Uh, if you had to kind of maybe speculate there just a little bit because I think that is maybe the billions of dollar, trillion dollar question. Um, you know, when people have looked at AI, ChatGPT over the last few months, you know, some things seem obvious. For example, content farms online, uh, doing homework online, a lot of those things. I think you can. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> a lot of I, you know, I can. I, if I was like 16 years old again, I would be using this for all of my essay writing. That seems <laughs> on the one yard line. I am curious, maybe right. on the what is a bit further or like what are either verticals or use cases that you think you're like? Oh, I have. We have line of sight with the research that we have, with the technology we have, with maybe some product and hacking together where AI could try completely change this industry. What are some use cases that come to mind for you? Interesting. Um, like, I'm probably going to be massively, massively wrong because like, if you ask like people with the first computers, like, what is this going to be good for? Right. Like, mm -hmm. you would have gotten like completely wrong answers. Yeah. Like, it's going to put like, you know, uh, like, people out of business if, you know, people whose job is to add long columns of numbers or something like, I don't, right, know, like, right, right, right. you know, like it's, it's uh, like, I, 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 we're going, like, I can tell you like some things on the near horizon, like definitely mm -hmm. based on how people are, seem to be using our product. Like it's going to be super, super helpful to like a lot of people who are lonely or depressed. Like, you know, for, for one, like in terms of like some huge value it'll add, I'm, I think, I think we can like, do a, like an incredible job of entertainment for one, because like a lot of entertainment has to do with sort of this, um, you know, illusion of, um, you know, of relationships. Like, you know, the, the, there's this phenomenon that I had never heard of before, like, you know, seeing how people were using character called like parasocial. It's, uh, oh, yeah. mm -hmm. you know, it means, yeah. you know, like somebody follows like a celebrity or, a uh or a character or something and <clears throat> they feel connected even though like the connection is really like only one you know one, one way um yeah. and 
now you can make it two ways or or virtually two ways essentially mm-hmm. like you mm-hmm. you can give someone like sort of that experience um you know you, like you don't nobody ever has to feel lonely you've got like you can have like your whole group of like friends and advisors like in your head like you know who like maybe can know all about you and you know can you know mm-hmm. always be happy to to see you and like you know like i, right. I don't know you, like i like i mean think about I mean, and from from the more practical standpoint, I mean, think about like uh, somebody gets elected to be president or something, mm-hmm. and then they get like this earpiece or something uh, with like all these advisors and a whole cabinet and like an entire support staff that they can like talk to anytime they want and like is uh, right. you know can can advise them on on all sorts of things like in real time. Like that, 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 you know, that's going to happen. Like, by the way, there's a lot of sci-fi, sci-fi plots and thought lines to explore here. Like, for example, when it, when you're talking about the assistant engineer, I was thinking about Iron Man and Jarvis. Yeah. Um, exactly. you know, oh, oh yeah. You know, which he, you know, he has Jarvis show up in his year. I mean, all the time. someday I really want to have that happen. You know, my goal, and Trayam knows this, is to like have a lab of sorts where I have Jar. Like, you know, the the Iron Man dream is just like. It's so close and yet it's a little too far right now. And I would love to like yeah. see that happen where you have your own personal Jarvis. Who okay, can we need to get you like- Jarvis. <laughs> there we go. There we go. <laughs> but it's, it's just great because now, you know, with like looking at character, yeah, I looked at like all the other publicly available characters that you can go play with. And people, like you said, are so creative. They've come up with some really fun ideas on who can like be a character and go talk to them. And they're like hundreds of thousands of people just engaging with these people. And it's just, it's really fun. And you can, it's it's going to be, I think uh, similar to what you said, it's very hard right now to figure out what the exact use cases or verticals are going to look like because uh, people are just inherently so creative and they're just going to come up with completely extraordinary use cases that you don't really think of. But once they do do it, you're going to look at it and say, oh, that sounds so obvious, of, of course. course. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, one question is, to get there, what are sort of the bounding conditions? Is it going to be the scale and the cost of training and you know something that's going to take hundreds of millions of dollars? <laughs> is it going to be smarter ways to build models, build inference, or is it going to be about having hackers and product builders build interesting apps on top, which is where do you think the value, uh, the energy, the innovation is really going to happen? Obviously, you're biased because you're building, you know, at one of these layers, <laughs> but maybe if you zoom out, like, yeah. where do you think the value is really going to go? Yeah, that's a good good, good question. I mean, definitely it's going to help to, to have better, smarter uh, models and probably it'll be the case every time you throw 10x more money at the thing you get another 10 IQ points or something like that um, but you know there'll be a, you know like that's kind of just orthogonal to like all the other ways you can um, uh, make the thing better but um, yeah I think there's just going to be yeah a huge amount of just like innovation of, of how people are using it I mean we definitely are going to need to you know, always work on the um, just the unit costs of uh, how how cheaply you can serve it because uh, either e- either that or somebody has to start building chips faster. <laughs> right, right. Good, good, good right. time to start pouring uh, concrete for fabs. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, I guess uh, one question I have is: if you are 
a founder you know you're you're into technology you're thinking of starting new companies you have you're thinking about new ideas in ai right now what are areas that you would look at for founders to be like oh these are places where you really need to like go dig into and think about like what are places where founders can like start looking at to go build applications use cases whatever they are to build companies out of Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I guess. Uh, yeah, what what new toys are there now that that you could right. potentially build a new application out of? Right. Yeah, like, I guess yeah. there's all this exciting stuff happening with the uh, large language models. It seems like image generation has just like exploded. So yeah. So that that's that's pretty exciting. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I, I I've been like so focused on the on the language models. Um, mm -hmm. I don't We've know seen, what, what sounds think, exciting to you. Um, I think image generation, like you said, there are just lots of good companies that are coming out very early, but feels very promising. Um, I think uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, for something like a GitHub Copilot kind of scenario where you can work together, build stuff together, you can Copilot like you know actual code together. Mm -hmm kind of situations I think are like really interesting. And there are a couple of companies that are similar that are doing that. Um, I think, um, you know, one of the companies I talked to um, is looking into, uh, you know, if, you if you're building like a new air table of sorts, but for, um, you know, but using AI for like computation, like spreadsheet computation side of things, what would mm -hmm. that look like oh, for cool. you? Mm -hmm. uh, and so these are, they sound really you know, um, specific and verticalized. But when you pull kind of like above it and figure out like how are people using it, I think that's kind of where the magic is. Um, yeah. Even for like, you know, for backend tools, for backend no-code, low-code solutions, you see a lot of these applications that are coming up, which are, you know, they, again, like once you see them, you feel like, oh, that's so obvious. Of course, you're going to have that kind mm -hmm. of thing. But I'm really excited about the future of how you can take a lot of the, um, the monotony out of, you know, building the the rote, like specific frameworks or writing pieces of code that you exactly know how it's going to work and just be able to like do really interesting things on top of it, like kind of use your creativity and spend your time doing that. Uh, I think that's going to be really interesting. Yeah, yeah that's, uh, yeah, definitely uh, will. Um, uh, you know, I think, you know, the other thing I think about is uh, one of the interesting new things in uh, this industry has been like RLHF, which is how do you have humans in the loop yeah. to give you feedback? Um, it, it, for example, you mentioned earlier on, like how in some of the earlier version of these models, you just, it would just go on and just keep on, you know, sputtering out nonsense. But now, obviously, in every chat GPT, you kind of having going back and forth and you're, and you're mm -hmm. learning. And I think there is going to be an existential question uh, over the next couple of few years about what data is this trained on? What do us as human beings want from these models? Mm -hmm. And whether the models giving us what we want is actually good, optimal in some way. So in very quick, maybe at the, at the very core essence, what is the optimization function that all these models are going to work towards? It's going to be, I think, a political, social, philosophical yes, battle nice. <laughs> of sorts. So I think that's going to be very interesting to see happen. It's going to be very, you know, very, very interesting. And yeah, there, there is, yeah, there's, there are these big questions about how much do you as a developer try to, you know, how much do you decide that you know better than the user what the user 
once. Oh yeah, essentially. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. When I was and at uh, Facebook, we had this place called Veggies versus Dessert, which was, uh, you know, basically if you have a child and a child says like, "I just want dessert all the time," and you keep giving the child dessert, they're probably going to go to fall sick. You need to inject veggies every once in a while. Uh, now the analogy here was if you know if you have a model and this could be a feed algorithm or this could be any sort of thing which works in the infrared, if you just give people what they want, A, it may not be good for them and B, it may not actually be what they want. And I think that existential problem right, really right, exists right, right. In, uh, here too. That's interesting. Yeah, like because yeah, I've noticed this with some recommendation systems that they will just keep giving you the same thing and they don't do any sort of exploration, you know, mm-hmm. to, to try to find, you know, find something that you might also want. Right, <laughs> uh, but, exactly. uh, but then, but then there's a question of, okay, what if, you know, what happens, you know, yeah. The, the, the cases where like, all right, like the mm-hmm. users asking you for like, you know, like, uh, you know, how do I do this, you know, horrible, illegal, immoral thing? Uh, You know, what, you know, what what do you do? Or, you know, like, um, yeah, or or like, well, what do you do 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 in chat? What do you do in chat? GPTs, you say, hey, write me a script where the user does this horrible, immoral (laughs) thing, and then we'll get it. But uh, users uh, are so good at getting around that. There's going to be some evil Santa Claus uh, actions happening on Cardia. No, no, I just want to say, I I am so excited uh, to just see where the space goes and also see where you take this. You are such a legend in this field and been a part of so many of the foundational work and really excited for you and for Cardia and just... Thank you so much for having this conversation. This was amazing. Oh, thanks, Hiram. Thanks, Arti. Yeah, uh, thank you. Uh, well, much, much more to come. Really, really fun. We'll, we'll drop awesome. the links to Character AI, Noam, the Attention All You Need paper, and all the other stuff we talked about. Uh, knock yourself out, folks. This was, this was a lot <laughs> really, of fun. Really, cool. really fun. Well, thanks okay. so much. Thanks, Dov. Have a good one.